Oh, yes. Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome to MLB Morning Coffee, a daily MLB podcast. Appreciate everybody that has tuned in over the last couple of days. I wanted to get another minor league perspective on. Again, I promise we are going to re-record the episode with Sam Levitt. He did promise. I guess the technological gremlins have just decided to get after us. But joining me today from Idaho Falls, Idaho, he is the Director of Public Relations for the Idaho Falls Chuckers, the 2019 Pioneer League champions. He is my good friend, the former co-host of the shortly-lived Just Chuck It podcast, which, given the schedule of minor league baseball teams, we obviously didn't record as often as we wanted to. But you know what, Chris? I, I think that you and Tyler Peterson should definitely bring that back this year. It is Chris Scoops Hall. What's up, buddy? Hey, dude. Uh, just glad to be back podcasting with the Wizard of Mirage. Are you going to miss me this year? I am. I mean, I'm sure Tyler's great. You say nice things about him, but the odds of Tyler being as, as fun to hang out with as you, I can't imagine. Oh, uh, you are too kind, my friend. You are too kind. And I definitely plan on making a visit up there when the season actually starts. And I guess that's sort of our first jumping off point. Like we talk about when the major league season is going to start, but the minor league season is so all over the place in terms of when it might start. And you brought up to me a really good point. The state of California may keep in a lot of these shelter-in-place bans and a lot of these crowd-gathering bans a lot longer than potentially the Pioneer League. And you could also make the argument for the state of Washington, which has two teams in it in the Northwest League, the Everett Aqua Sox and the Tri-City Dust Devils, also a AAA team, in the Tacoma Rainiers. So, I mean, from your perspective, I mean, you are still in the game. You're still on the operating side of things. I mean, if you could even project, I mean, how do you project this even falling forward, even if you're trying to shoot two months down the road from now? You know, I'm just, and I think all of us here in the office, we're just working under the assumption that we're going to play on time. Um, you know, current CDC timelines have, you know, eight, nine weeks, um, of limiting crowd sizes, but we're hoping that with the size of Idaho falls and everything that that's something that, um, can be lifted and resume play that gives us an extra month almost to work with before our season starts. You know, when you think about the coasts and stuff, they're a lot different than, you know, Idaho Falls or the majority of the Pioneer League that are more flyover states. They're not going to have as much tourism, not as much people coming in and out, um, which I think is going to help us be able to get things started, which might just be wishful thinking on my part, um, wanting to get games going and get all of this behind us. But I think the odds of us having an on-time start are a lot better than you're going to see in places like California, New York, Florida, Washington. I am glad, though, you said the chances are better, not coming out like a lot of leagues like the MLS came out yesterday and said that they expect to start on May 10th. I mean, I think that's phony baloney because the NBA more than likely won't get started again until maybe the end of June. I don't think Major League Baseball at this point gets started until mid-July. Like I was listening to a Chicago radio host and I brought this up on an episode a couple days ago with Kyle Banduho of Baseball America, that you could effectively have spring training to electric boogaloo, as the one Matt Spiegel uh, put it, and an 81-game season with neutral site playoffs. I don't think 
that there is a chance that Major League Baseball plays over 100 games this year. And in terms of minor league baseball, I think it falls along the same lines. Now, there are a couple of things that are really interesting in terms of the potential scenarios for minor league baseball to extend their season. And I'll ask you about this one in particular, and that is eliminating the playoffs. Do you think that's a good idea? And do you think that there is a value in player development to a completely abrupt, abbreviated minor league season? You know, I think that uh, if I was a major league team, I don't know that I care about the playoffs as much as I care about these guys just getting reps, being able to stay in shape. Um, I think crowd sizes, championships are fun. I think they make for a good experience for, for guys. But at the end of the day, these major league teams, what they're most looking for is for these guys to develop, to get reps in against similar talent so that they can project and move these guys through. Um, I think, that's going to be their main priority is being able to make sure that service time doesn't get interrupted, that people are able to play enough games that they get a good look that nobody feels like they're being cheated. The interesting thing that came out yesterday also, and this was an AP story that we talked about on yesterday's episode with Ronald Blum, or rather a story written by Ronald Blum of the Associated Press, not talking with him. Obviously he's breaking big news. He doesn't have time for MLB morning coffee, but Major League Baseball is considering canceling the 2020 draft, which brings into play a whole myriad of problems. And I want to just get your gauge before I give my gauge on what you feel like the biggest ramification of canceling the draft might be. And I think this is a good discussion to debate because you work for a short season team. The Idaho Falls Chuckers are a team that gets a lot of first year drafted players. And there's a chance that you're basically going to end up potentially with almost the exact same team as last year if there are no new players. Which is obviously okay with us, Greg. If we got the exact same team as we had last year, we'll run it back. We'll go back-to-back Pioneer League champs, and that's fine. Um, I think the Major League Draft, uh, you know, the people I feel the worst for would be the kids that then have to decide or are you going to commit to college instead of coming out of high school? If you're a college kid, are you going to go back for one more year when you felt like you deserved to be a pro? Um, from our team standpoint, I was surprised how few first year guys we get year in and year out. You see so many people that come from the Dominican or spend a year in the AZL or a year in Burlington that come to Idaho Falls. Um, I feel like losing the draft as far as a Royals affiliate would really impact the AZL more than it would impact us. But, you know, I'd love to hear what you think about that too. I think there's a whole box of snakes that gets opened up by this. And the reason being, you've already had some players released in the off season and you've already had a couple of guys that have basically retired from playing pro baseball. So you would have to sign more guys to fill out rosters or, be able to finagle every last guy that you had in order to fill out a current roster. But the problem is, is that you've got guys in college baseball that had their season stopped after 20 games that were fully intending to come out of this year's draft or come out in this year's draft. So these guys effectively are either forced to go back to school for another year and they're given another year of eligibility or 
they're basically forced to sit out all of next year and then wait to get drafted if they don't want to necessarily risk what their draft status might have been. Now, MLB has put a stop to any and all scouting at this point. So basically, if the draft were to continue, you're basically going on what you have already on game tape and on reputation because there are no workouts, there's no further games, there's nothing. And you also have a problem in that you might end up having too many guys, if the draft does happen, too many guys in an organization without giving the current guys in the organization a chance to make themselves known and to be able to stay on rosters because it kind of goes without saying, Chris, that you get about, you have 40 rounds of a draft and you usually get about 30 to 35 guys that sign pretty much every year. Now, a lot of guys in many organizations are allowed to stay on the rosters until the next spring training in which about probably 30-ish minor leaguers are released in order to make room in terms of that roster space for the 30 to 35 that you just added. And the cycle keeps going on and on as more drafts and more drafts happen. So, man, there are so many different scenarios that can happen. But the one that I thought of, and I want to hear your thoughts on this, is that if you give guys an extra year of eligibility and cancel the draft, you now have four different classifications of eligible guys to be drafted. You've got this year's seniors that turn into next year's seniors. You've got this year's juniors. And then you have this year's sophomores who were not eligible for this draft, but would be also eligible for next year's draft. So you have three classifications of players that are now eligible for one draft. And that, in my opinion, screws a lot of seniors out of potentially getting drafted because they have zero leverage and they'll either not get drafted or they'll sign for so minimal a figure that is so far below what they probably would have signed for in the first place. Yeah, I think you're going to have a lot of, if that were to happen, you'd have a lot of major league teams that say, why am I going to take a guy that's two years older than a guy that I could take? And the seniors that lost their last year of of college baseball, but we're lucky enough to go back at the end of the day, it just comes back to hurt them again. It seems like it's really, there's really no way for these guys to win. There's no way for them to win and there's no right scenario. And for the current minor leaguers, those that may have to have a great season in order to keep their jobs, they don't necessarily know if they're going to get that fair shake in order to actually keep their jobs. You could argue one way. You could argue another way. Some people have been really adamant on Twitter about, oh, no, you can't cancel the draft. You're you're screwing these guys out of their opportunity to play pro baseball. Well, not completely, but you also have to have some respect for the guys that are already in the organization. Because let's just call a spade a spade here, Chris. And you've obviously seen it with guys that have gone through the royal system over the years and even as a Giants fan, guys that have gone through the Giants system over the years, higher round draft picks are going to stay in the organization because of the investment that those organizations have made in those guys. I mean, from a Royals perspective, like that's why Bubba Starling is still in the organization, a guy that in the same draft I think was drafted before Francisco Lindor, Javier Baez, Jose Fernandez, and I'm forgetting like one more budding star that was drafted before or rather that Starling was drafted before. Yeah, I, you know, 
there's really no scenario where this doesn't affect some people, Major League Baseball. And these teams are just going to have to decide who it is. I don't want to say that's less least important, but who they want to prioritize. Do they want to prioritize guys that have already been in the system? Do they want to prioritize guys in college? Do they want to just keep everything what they had last year and have an extra year to evaluate them? I, I don't know. I don't know what I would choose gun to my head. And for the first time in my life, I'm not very jealous of these guys having to make that decision. So by the way, just to give you a little reference point of guys that were drafted before Bubba Starling, or rather that were drafted after Bubba Starling. Next pick after, Nationals, Anthony Rendon. Pick after that, Diamondbacks, Archie Bradley. Pick after that, Francisco Lindor. Pick after that, Javier Baez. Then Corey Spangenberg, George Springer, Taylor Jungman, Brandon Nimmo, Jose Fernandez. Other guys taken in the first round of that draft include Sonny Gray, C.J. Crone, Matt Barnes, Tyler Beatty, Alex Meyer, Taylor Guerrero, Joe Ross, Blake Sweetheart, Joe Panic, Sean Gilmartin, and those are really the only super significant guys. But, like, all those guys made the big leagues before Bubba Starling did. So you have put yourself in a spot where, I mean, heck, man, I don't necessarily know how many of the higher-round guys are going to get a fair shake when you know that first- and second-round picks are going to get the longest leashes possible. And that's why I feel like if you do suspend the draft, then that's okay because you need guys that are going to end up getting drafted in those 20th to 35th rounds to have another year of college baseball and have a fair shake at this. Like, they have to prove that they can be able to play pro baseball. I think it's only the right thing to do. But on the other side, you're robbing guys with potential money that they could be making right now. So I guess the answer is there's really no right answer. Yeah, and maybe it just comes down to finding ways to let these guys sign like international free agents do instead of a draft process. I don't know how that would end up working, but you know me, Greg, that I think that college sports is kind of a scam already that these guys should be getting paid and having to force these guys to wait that out another year doesn't seem particularly fair to me. By the way, Chris, for those of you that don't know him, Chris went to BYU-Idaho, which is a college that does not have sports. So take it from the guy that went to a school that doesn't have sports to say that college sports is, well, whatever you said it. I work for a college sports institution, so I can't really say anything <laughs> in that regard. But uh, I love college sports personally. So Pay players. Uh, let's just... That's all I'm saying, Greg. Pay players. Fair enough. Hey, you heard it here. You heard it here first or... No, you didn't hear it here first. You've heard it many <laughs> other places, but you heard it from Scoops Hall here first. We're with Chris Hall, the public relations director for the Idaho Falls Chuckers. I want to talk about the business aspect of it to the furthest extent that you can. And I know that a lot of the things that go on in minor league offices are very much confidential operations. But how is this impacting? And, and even if you want to just project it to others instead of a reflection on yourself, like how does this reflect business? Because. Minor league teams right now, they're losing sponsorship revenue from a lot of sponsors that are either backing out for fear of not a full season or sponsors that are getting money back because they were promised X amount of games. You're losing money on tickets. 
You're losing money on concessions revenue. You're not necessarily losing money on merchandise because you can still buy merchandise online. But from the business side of it, Chris, I mean, is this as monumental of an impact as people on the outside think it is? Or do you feel like teams can still operate in the same purviews that they did prior to everything effectively hitting the fan? Yeah, I mean, I'll start by saying that we're really lucky here, one, to be short season, to have more time to to buy, to get all of this sorted out with the hopes that it doesn't affect our season. There's going to be a lot of full season teams that, as much as Major League Baseball wants to say right now that they're planning on playing a full season, I don't think any of these teams can really plan on that at the moment, which is going to be hard on sponsorships. It's going to lose money at the gate. It's going to lose money on concessions, like you said. At the end of the day, that still affects merchandise. People that come into a game, have fun, and decide to go buy a hat aren't going to be there to do that. Um, and then I'll also say we're really fortunate here to have, um, you know, with the Elmore Sports Group, they've had all their teams go home. We're, we've been self-quarantined. We're uh, still getting paid. But, you know, there's a lot of minor league baseball team owners out there that, you know, maybe don't do as well. Some teams that, don't have the ability to, you know, work through rainy days like this, that you're going to see any sort of loss in money result in having to sell a team, having to shut down operations, having to find new ways to do things, uh, which, you know, with less money, you're going to have people that inevitably don't look at everything that happened with the context and people lose their jobs. It's going to be really interesting, really sad. Um, You know, I think, about that all the time, about the people that aren't going to be able to continue working through things like this and that this stuff's affecting more than just the players. It's affecting uh, ballpark staff that record, you know, rely on these hourly jobs to work. It's going to affect game day staff. It's going to affect managers, coaches, and then people inside a front office like myself. There's going to be an impact that we won't really be able to know fully until it's over. And so I just think anything that we can do to get this over with as fast as we can is going to help overall. I thought about this one idea the other day. I brought it up to Kyle Banduho on our episode two days ago. And given that you are somebody that works for one of these 42 teams, Minor League Baseball has been under the microscope this offseason because of what Major League Baseball wants to do in terms of contracting away 42 minor league teams. Now, given this scenario that has been thrown into play, you almost have to extend the current CBA by one year and just have it say, hey, we're putting a stay in on this and that we're going to put off CBA negotiations and work under the current purviews until the end of the 2021 season, because you can't, if it ends up in a doomsday scenario, you can't just have all of these businesses end up getting shut down because of coronavirus and then telling them, Oh, Hey, you're no longer a part of minor league baseball. And you can't, you know, you cannot in good faith give any business, whether you're fighting this thing, you're for it against it. Obviously you and I are both, for the keeping of all minor league baseball teams. I don't work in it anymore. I love minor league baseball. I think major league baseball is so off base in terms of what they're trying to accomplish. And by the way, how ironic is it that the, the, uh, the team that came up with this idea in the first place was the Astros. 
and now they're basically just they're never going to hear the end of this. Yeah, I don't know how any teams are looking at the Astros and going, they seem like they're really smart people. Let's stick with the plan they had. Yeah, but I mean, I think you almost have to file an extension on the current CBA in order to save face with a lot of these teams that are losing money right now. I mean, what are your thoughts in terms of, I mean, can Major League Baseball do anything else at this point? Because if they don't, then, you know, baseball is really going to suffer in communities that don't have Major League Baseball. I mean, I know that that you and the Chuckers have done such a good job on social media of campaigning to, you know, fight Major League Baseball and what they're trying to do. Other teams have done the same thing. And I just think if you if you put this current CBA out to pasture after 2020, then you are spelling a doomsday scenario for the future of the game of baseball. Yeah, and I agree. I just I think there's just so much about this plan that we don't know um, who's behind it. If this is truly a Rob Manfred, you know, idea solution that he's pushing, I don't think he's going to want the publicity of having to tell teams, okay, you didn't get any money this year, but you had to pay your employees and now your team doesn't exist anymore. But if this is something that the owners are pushing that, they're just using Rob Manfred as a shield for this. Uh, you know, you might see them still push, you know, we don't care about the how this makes us look. It's making Rob Manfred look bad, not us. I'd hate to see them push it through, um, obviously, for selfish reasons. And just because, like you said, I think that minor league baseball is so important to fans and to the game. Um, but I hope they look at this with common sense and say, this hasn't been fair. This hasn't been a fair way to end things for these teams on these on this 42 team list. Um, but at the same time, I also hope that by, you know, June, July, they've been able to figure out an extension that doesn't come to the conclusion that they need to cut these teams. And we can just go into a, a new CBA with peaceful times that these teams are safe and we can work with for 2021. In your lifetime, did you ever envision something like this happening? I mean, it's just remarkable to me where we're at. Like, on a personal level, I was getting fully ready for the Pac-12 men's basketball tournament, and the bottom falls out in less than 48 hours. And then, less than that, all sports are gone. I mean, I know that the Pioneer League season was nowhere close to starting when all this happened, but you still almost have to look at it in terms of understanding that you're living in a time that you may never live in again. It's yeah, it's been the weirdest week, week and a half of, you know, just things that I never thought I'd ever see happening with every sport shutting down with, you know, I'm from Las Vegas. I never thought I'd see the day that casinos just closed. Um, it's, it's weird. I hope. Obviously, it's nothing that we ever have to see again. I hope it's something that, as a world, we learn from. And where did the mistakes happen? How do we fix this for generations moving forward? But it's something that I think we're going to be talking about in 30, 40, 50 years about how it just seemed like the world stopped for a few months. We're on shelter in place here in San Francisco. What are the precautions that have been taken in Idaho Falls 
and assumingly back from your family who now lives in Reno. Like what what can you tell us about what steps are being taking taken in Idaho Falls as well as in Reno, Nevada? You know, here the government has, you know, we don't have any formal shelter in place orders. Um, they've just as strongly as they can recommended social distancing, keeping safe, um, limiting how much you need to go out and be around people, but um, no formal orders yet. Uh, it seems like every state is inching closer and closer to doing that. Uh, my parents are both working from home currently in Reno, uh, casinos, restaurants, you know, these non-essential things are shutting down for the whole state of Nevada. Um, thankfully they're safe. They're fine. Uh, but you know, here in Idaho, it seems like we're one of the last states to have any cases. We're moving a little slower behind things and hopefully we can put an end to it pretty quick. I know we've started seeing you know, drive-through testing here in Idaho Falls, um, shelters for people that have tested positive with the hopes of being able to wrap this up and not have any active cases that aren't being treated here in the area. I want to kind of look back at you as a fan, Chris, because every network around the country is showing classic games right now. You're a Giants fan. Give me your top three Giants classic games. Uh, number one for me would be the Pablo Sandoval three home run World Series game. That's you know just my favorite favorite game I've ever watched. Um, game seven of the 2014 World Series. Uh, you know just that whole series that I will tell anybody that'll listen to me that Madison Baumgartner is the only player that's ever won a world series by his, by himself. You know, what he was able to do that whole series, especially in game seven is insane. And, you know, I've watched that game, I think twice in the five days that I've been quarantined. Um, and then my first one is, you know, a little off the radar, the 2010 world series, you know, I was 18 years old and, you know, just remember crying watching that whole thing. But as far as individual games, uh, there's a game, I can't remember what year it was, but that Angel Pagan hit a walk-off inside the park home run. And that was just, that's just one of my favorite games to watch. Just exciting. I was there in the ballpark for that game. So it has a little extra special meaning to me being there, just the the excitement of remembering being there. I want to bring up a couple of other games that may not go as highly stated uh, in terms of a Giants fan lore. Game three of the 2010 NLDS, the Brooks-Conrad error game. I feel like that kind of opened up the door for the rest of that playoff run. And I just feel like the Braves probably would have put up a better fight if they had won that game and if it was not for that error. And who knows if this dynasty ever gets started. 2012, a game I was actually at, and I have the ticket stub to prove it, Matt Cain's Perfecto against the Astros. I remember it distinctly because it was U.S. Open week here in San Francisco. The U.S. Open was at the Olympic Club, and Dustin Johnson actually hit out the first drive. He didn't throw out the first pitch. He was actually hitting drivers into McCovey Cove from home plate, which was pretty darn cool. And what year was the Ishikawa home run against the Cardinals? Was that 14? That's 2014. 
that that game because you had the Ishikawa home run in that game and then the Michael Morris home run in that game. And I feel like for me, you know, I was talking to, I was in Arizona with a friend that's also a Giants fan. And we were talking about how the Ishikawa home run almost feels like it gets forgotten because of the Morse home run after it. Yeah, the Ishikawa home run, I, I just, I remember John Miller going absolutely bonkers for that. And that actually brings up another topic as a Giants fan. And I know that, you know, we're talking about social distancing and, and quarantines and, and everything to, to make sure that you're not around people as much as possible. Dwayne Kuyper is going to be, when the season actually starts, having one of the most unique broadcast situations in all of baseball. He and Mike Kruko are going to be on calls together for NL West road games, but Kruko's not going to be at the ballpark. He is going to be in the NBC Sports studios, which, by the way, are a floor down from the Pac-12 Network studios where I work, and Kuyper's going to be at the ballpark. I mean, do you like this move by the Giants to keep Kruk and Kipe together when in reality they're not actually together? I love Kruk and Kipe. I think anything that we can do to extend that duo and find ways to make it work for them, they should do. I mean, I'm sure inevitably we're coming to the point where you're going to see Dave Fleming take that over. And who doesn't also love Dave Fleming? From what I have heard, they really paid to keep him there. And so he's just waiting in the wings. But those two voices are so iconic for any Giants fan, anybody that turns on a Giants broadcast on MLB TV. They're just, they're perfect at what they do. I mean, they're no Vin Scully, who is, but probably a pretty close second for me. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm, I'm such a big John Miller guy. I always have been. I feel, I feel like he, his energy on his home run calls are just, they're, they're amazing. You know, he, maybe my, one of my favorite ones ever was his screw up of, uh, was it, uh, who actually hit the home run? Was it Hunter Pence or Buster Posey when he's like, somebody's good friend. No, is Hunter Pence's good friend, Buster Posey. Yeah. Yeah. Buster Posey hit the home run and it was, and there's one for Hunter Pence's good friend, Buster Posey. I have to say that I've actually screwed up a home run call before. Like in like so badly in terms of like I got the score completely wrong and the inning completely wrong. For some reason I thought the score was one thing when it was completely something different. We all have those those errors. Or maybe we like to say that we we'll admit that we do and then try and hide behind the shame of screwing it up that much later. Chris, have you been catching up on any like great baseball movies? So I want to recommend, by the way, Big Screen Sports. It's a podcast hosted by Kyle Bandujo. We've brought his name up a couple of times. He is also the host of From Phenom to the Farm from Baseball America. He's been a guest on our program twice, and he had this question out there, and I haven't gone back and listened to the episode yet, but who was the better Willie Mays Hayes, Leslie Snipes or Omar Epps? I'm going to throw this question to you, Chris. Well, I feel like Wesley Snipes, you know, the progress that he made through that season, you know, it's, there's nothing like it in sports movie history, the progress made through a season that Wesley Snipes, you know, being able to just run in warmups and spring training, on the side to pass people after they, he gave them a head start to make the team. 
that's something that Omar Epps, as great as he was, and I love Major League Two, he's just not going to be able to duplicate. Yeah, I also think Omar Epps had a little bit more power than Wesley Snipes, but I feel like there is kind of this notion that Willie Mays Hayes, the Wesley Snipes Willie Mays Hayes, couldn't hit for power. I mean, maybe he could have hit for power, but I feel like your leadoff man as a center fielder is a lot more valuable as a speedster than he is as a power hitter. Like, what's the point of batting a guy leadoff if he's going to hit, just try and hit homers? You know, there aren't guys on base to drive him in. But, you know, you've also got, a difference in catchers, you know, Rube Baker to Jake Taylor. Uh, Jack Parkman obviously started that season with the team. Would have been a great acquisition if he wasn't such a dingus. But what other uh, good sports movies have you been trying to get into lately? I uh, just watched yesterday my all-time underrated sports movie, and that's Fever Pitch, which is just a joy, just a delight to watch. And... I don't feel like gets the respect it deserves because of its romantic uh, comedy qualities. But I just, that's one of my all time favorite movies. I could watch that movie once a month. I, I like that movie as well, to be quite frank. I'm not a huge Jimmy Fallon fan, but I actually feel like he did a great job in that movie. And one of Drew Barrymore's best performances without question, without question. I just relate to it, you know, and she opens up his closet and sees that it's all Red Sox stuff. I always imagine that's how the first time that when Kendo opened up my closet and saw nothing but Chiefs, Giants, and Paul Pierce gear. Yeah, by the way, for those of you that don't know, Chris is married to Kendall, and Chris is a Giants fan, a Celtics fan, and a Chiefs fan, despite growing up in Nevada. Now, you've got family from Kansas City, and you obviously were in a state that's very close to California, so you could have chosen any of the California teams, and I think the Giants were a smart choice. Where did the Celtics fandom come from? Uh, My dad went to uh, Kansas University Law School when I was a kid, and uh, we were there when Paul Pierce was at Kansas, and just kind of told myself when I was five years old that wherever Paul Pierce goes, that's where I'm going to be a fan of. And so that's just kind of how it worked out for me. I tell people first and foremost, I'm a Paul Pierce fan. Second, I'm a Celtics fan. Hey, that's fair enough. I, uh, I can completely understand the affinity for one baseball player or basketball player that makes one team turn into your favorite team. So there's 1000%. Let me ask you this, actually, like, you grew up in areas that, you know, with the exception of the time you lived in. Did you live in Kansas City for a while? Did you actually live in Kansas for a bit? Um, you know, I lived when I was very young in Lawrence, Kansas, while my dad was going to law school. But I never lived in uh, in Kansas City itself. So you've basically lived in areas that never had major league size sports teams. So it's kind of unique when you talk to somebody like you that how your sports affinities end up aligning, like my dad's from Chicago, my mom's from Oakland. So it's either the Bay or the shy for me. So, and I grew up going to A's and giants games. So it, it's a lot different. I feel like based on what area of the country that you end up coming from. Yeah. For me, it was almost based more on, on players. Like you said, it was Paul Pierce and then Barry Bonds is 
was and probably forever will be my favorite baseball player. And so that's kind of how I made the decision to watch Giants games more than anyone else growing up in Las Vegas. And then, you know, my family's from Kansas City. They're all big Chiefs fans. And so that's kind of how I got into it. And now we have the greatest football player of all time on our side for me to root for too. So for me, it was always more based on players than teams, but it's been a good few years now for me in all three. Oh man, I love Patrick Mahomes. I mean, he is, he is, in, he's amazing. Like he's so amazing to the point, by the way, that Chris's license plate in the state of Idaho actually says Mahomes. Did, was Mahomes taken or is Mahomes too long for a license plate? Mahomes was taken by somebody out there. There's another Idaho Mahomes fan. So yeah, we are Mahomey. And then, yeah, there we celebrated St. Patrick Day in his honor yesterday. Not uh, not anything to do with being Irish. That is true. And uh, I have to say, I know that, that you don't drink, but uh, my beer supply is running rather low here on Ocean Avenue. And I really, I can't really go outside in order to get more. So uh, I, I celebrated St. Patrick's Day with one coffee IPA, which, by the way, is as bad as it sounds. I thought it was good. I thought it was going to be good when I bought it, but it was really, really mediocre. Chris, we're going to wrap this up because I don't want to like I would love to keep talking and we have the time to. But I want to have you on again and I don't want to exhaust all of our topics. I mean, if we're not going to have baseball again for another two months, who the heck knows if we're going to have more to talk about? I got I got some ideas I'll text over to you for us to bang out a few for no sports content episodes. Oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. Chris Hall, thanks for joining us today, buddy. Thanks. Love you, Greg. Chris Hall, the public relations director for the Idaho Falls Chuckers. This has been another edition of MLB Morning Coffee. Have a great rest of your day, everybody. Stay safe, stay quarantined, and we'll talk to you in the AM.